hear these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's with that very short, very quick introduction that Mark launches into his gospel account of the life of Jesus Christ. And it's with that very quick introductory sentence that we are going to launch into the, the study of the book of Mark. Uh, for a while now, I've been led to, to actually work through a book with you. We've done a lot of five- and six-week sermon series the last year and a half, which have been great. Uh, I've loved that, but I also feel that there's there's great value in working through a book of the Bible, and so we're going to do uh, Mark. Here is why I think it's important to also do, do books of the Bible, to read straight through. One is because we, at least I, I know I have a, an inclination to go towards those texts that I really like. Uh, and so reading through a book of the Bible, it protects against that that just drifting towards the things that you really like and avoiding the things that are kind of difficult. Uh, Mark is a difficult gospel. There are some things that are written in Mark that are uncomfortable for me to read. Uh, one of the commentators uh, wrote a commentary and he titled it this. He said, Mark, mean and wild. Wow. So, so the Jesus that, that Mark portrays is not always the meek and mild Jesus uh, that we think we've come to know. And so when we read through the, the scripture, it forces us to wrestle with those texts. Uh, the second reason I think it's really valuable to read through a Bible is that it makes, uh, through a book of the Bible, it makes us better theologians. And really what I simply mean by that is it helps us know God better. When we read through an entire book of the Bible, it's critical that we know who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because the climate today, the religious climate, is a lot like the, the political climate uh, in which everyone has an opinion, uh, everyone has their own version of truth. What we hear a lot uh, in the, across the religious spectrum is this language of, my God or my Jesus, as if we can kind of fashion our God and fashion our Jesus to suit what we want him to be. We ought not do that. Rather than us trying to form God into our image, which is what the Israelites did with the golden calf, God calls that idolatry. Instead of us trying to get God to, to be what we want him to be, we want to in, invite God to to form us, to inform us to who he is, and to transform us. So why the Gospel of Mark? There's lots of books in the Bible. This is a, a relatively long one. Why the Gospel of Mark? One is simply because it's all about Jesus. Uh, we've been working through the, the chosen, and uh, I've fallen in love with Jesus anew. Uh, through this, and I, I really believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, and so what better way to, to spend the, the next months uh, learning more about Jesus? But two, uh, the reason I chose Mark is because, at least for me, it's the gospel that I'm least acquainted with. Uh, I find myself drifting towards the other three gospels. I love in John the, the richness of John, the metaphors of John, 
Luke, I love that, that Jesus is always for the underdog, uh, the oppressed, the marginalized, and Luke. Matthew, I love the, the Sermon on the Mount. I love the teachings of Jesus, the, the many parables. But Mark, I find a little bit more challenging. Mark doesn't mess around. He doesn't mince words. He's concise. He's to the point. Reading through Mark is like reading through one of the other Gospels on double speed. Things happen quickly. His favorite word is the word and, followed by the word immediately. Like th this happened, and then immediately this happened, and then immediately this happened. Uh, Nate shared with me a meme uh, regarding the differences of the four Gospels, and I want to share it with you. You, you aren't going to be able to read this, so I'm going to read it for you. Uh, Matthew says, before I begin... Let me give you the genealogy of Jesus so that you too can know that this is about a real person. Luke says, before I begin, let me tell you the, the, and the what does that say? Backstory that led up to all of this. John, before I begin, let me explain why it's important to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark, let's get down to business. And this is really accurate uh, as to, to Mark. So with all of that uh, as just an introduction, uh, join me as we pray for this series. Uh, Father God, we thank you that uh, you have given us your revelation through your word, um, and you tell us that these words are, are not just Mark's words, they're inspired words uh, from you uh, to us. And so we commit to you, however long this series will take, and we pray that um, you would use it in each of our lives, uh, Lord, that we would know you just a, a little bit better, and in knowing you, we would know ourselves, uh, and we'd follow you uh, just a little more faithfully. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So three quick background notes before we begin. Uh, most scholars believe that Mark was written uh, right around 64, 65 AD, which was a time where the, the Christians in Rome were facing extreme persecution under the hand of Nero, Emperor Nero. Many of them persecuted, many of them even martyred. And it, uh, it's believed that Mark's primary audience were the Christians living in Rome. So he's writing to a people who are under fire. I mean, they are, they are living on the front lines, and, and life is hard, and following Christ in that environment is hard. And so we're going to see one of the themes of Mark is the theme of suffering, uh, and also the theme of good versus evil, Satan versus God versus Satan. Second, uh, it's believed that Mark is the very first of the four recorded Gospels. So we are reading the first account, recorded account, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew and Luke used Mark as a, a source. 90% of what's in, in Matthew came from Mark, is from Mark. Finally, uh, you may be wondering, who is Mark? Unlike Matthew, unlike John, Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, uh, more like Luke. Uh, it is believed, earliest tradition believed that Mark was uh, a, an associate, an interpreter for Peter. And so in this gospel, what we're getting is Peter's accounts uh, recorded by Mark. This is the same Mark that we read about in Acts, who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. 
In fact, Paul was very upset with Mark at one point because he thought Mark abandoned them. That led to the splitting up of Paul and, and Barnabas, which I think is another interesting thing because more than any of the other Gospels, Mark doesn't um, portray the disciples as heroes. He's very honest about their failures uh, and their, their, their stumblings and their imperfections. Uh, the author never identifies himself in the gospel. It's because it's not about Mark. Uh, it's about Jesus. Uh, Nate and I were talking about a title slide for this sermon series, and originally it said Mark. And we had a kind of 11th hour decision, no, it ought not say Mark, it ought to say Jesus. And this is really cool, because if you look in the letters, you see uh, the text uh, of Mark. So kudos to Nate for making that awesome graphic. All right, let's begin. Mark 1. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When you read something, it's really important that you know the genre of what it is that you're reading. You read poetry different than you read prose. You read a newspaper different than you read a novel. And so what genre is this that we're reading? It's tempting to say that this is a biography. This is a memoir of the life of Jesus but it really is not. If this were a biography, if this were a memoir, we'd have to conclude that it's a really poor one because it begins when Jesus is 30 years old. We don't get any of the backstory. We don't get the, the birth story. We don't get any childhood story, any adolescence story. 33% of this gospel is about a few days in the life of Jesus, just a few days surrounding his crucifixion and his resurrection. This is a unique genre. What we call it is a gospel. It's a gospel. The book is a gospel written with one primary goal, and that is to persuade us, the reader, that Jesus is the Son of God and that we have this good news uh, because he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. Mark's intentions are not to entertain us of the four Gospels, it's probably the least uh, quality writing. Uh, it's not really colorful. It's not full of a lot of descriptive language. His intentions are not just to inform us, uh, but he wants to provoke us. He wants to persuade us. He wants to move us to action. Mark is writing as a preacher that we might believe and that we might have eternal life. Mark writes as, as one who knows that the people he's writing to are in a state of desperation. He's writing to people who are in a state of desperation, in need of hope, in need of assurance, in need of comfort, and in need of salvation. So if we, the church today, have any good news to share with the world, it's got to begin and be centered and end with Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. He's the good news that we proclaim. Our calling, as we just talked about in the children's sermon, is to, to follow him and to proclaim him. That is what the church is to be about. And the minute we abandon that, we abandon who we are called to be as a church. Mark writes about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And no sooner is he baptized than he is led by the Spirit into the desert where his battle with Satan begins. 
If we were reading one of the other Gospels, we'd probably have a long account of this, but Mark sums it all up in two quick sentences. Notice this verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attending him. That's it. And we're, we're moving on. This would have been received by his audience as hopeful news. By those Christians in Rome who found themselves in the, in the ring failing the, facing the daily temptation to just abandon Christianity. I mean, life would have been so much easier if they just denied Jesus Christ, turned away from their faith. They could have escaped all kinds of persecution. But here they're seeing that Jesus was like them, tempted like them. He had to battle evil like them, and he was victorious. God ministered to him through the angels. We continue at verse 14. I, I have skipped a little bit here in the beginning. Uh, as we do this series, I am going to be selective. We'll be um, skipping just a few things. Sometimes it's because we just had a sermon uh, on that, that text. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. That word time, Jesus had two different words he could have used. One is the word chronos, which uh, is like a, a chronological, you know, minutes, days, weeks, years. Uh, yesterday I turned 52 years old and I hate it. But that, that's a chronos thing. Uh, the word he chose to use is the word kairos, uh, which refers not to like the uh, linear time, but it refers to a season of time. It refers to the right time, the opportune time. This is what Ecclesiastes wrote about. There is a time for everything under heaven. This is the right time. This is the opportune time, Jesus is saying. To do what? to repent, and to believe the good news. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. God's reign, God's rule is, is fastly approaching. Today, we are still living in that kairos season of time. Today, right now, it is still the opportune time, the right time to repent and believe the good news. The door is open. We're living in a season where the door into the kingdom of God is still open. That is not always going to be the case. The seasons will change. But right now, we have this opportune time. And what is it that Jesus instructs us to do? Repent and believe the good news. And I love the fact that this word repent is paired with the words good news. Because sometimes we communicate that, that repent is really not a, a good news thing. It's because, you know, God hates you, really doesn't like what you're doing, and, and he's coming back, and boy, you better repent, shape up, fly right, that type of thing. Repent is coupled with this idea, you know what, God loves you, and, and he wants what's best for you. And when we repent and we align our lives with what God desires for us, that's in our best interest. 
This is good news that we have. Jesus calls us to believe the good news, and so it forces us to ask, what is the good news specifically? Well, I thought about that the other day. What is the good news? Like that, you know, That's a question that a pastor ought to know. What's the good news? His kingdom is coming. That's good news. The fact that God has a plan to restore all of creation, to restore me, to restore you, that's good news. The fact that Satan and his demonic forces are going to be forever defeated, cast into the lake of fire, that is good news. The fact that our battle with sin will be over, I will no longer say what Paul said in Romans 7, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and fail to do the things that I want to do? I lament that all the time. I'm no longer going to lament that when God's kingdom has fully come. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I won't do what I don't want to do. The fact that there's going to be no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, no more death is good news. The fact that this is available to all of us freely by God's grace is incredibly good news. The heart of the good news is that we get to live with God forever through Jesus Christ. And the good news is that the door to all of that is open. It's open right now. We're going to continue. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In just two sentences, Jesus has given us a plan for discipleship. One of the things that uh, we in, in the consistory and in leadership right now are feeling uh, tasked to do is, is figure out a plan for discipleship. Like, how do we provide opportunities for, for all of us to take that next step in our journey with Christ? I love that, that Jesus has given us a plan for discipleship. Here it is. Number one, repent. Number two, believe. Number three, follow. And number four, fish. Repent, believe, follow, and fish. This is, what, this is what we're called to do as disciples of Christ. We're called to repent. We're called to turn away from those things that are not in our best interest according to God. Like, we have to trust that, that God knows better than we do that what's, what's in our best interest and so rather than being our own guides, our own lords, we're going to say, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, you know better. And so what you say, I'm going to change my life to align with what, what you say is best for me. This is not a one-time thing. This is supposed to be a, a lifestyle of being a disciple. In fact, it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine if God created a system where repentance was not an option? Like, you get one try at this, and if you blow it, it's over. Thank God that he did not create that system. 
Instead, he created a system where, you know what, if you stumble and you fall, you confess, you turn from it, and you stand back up, and we keep going. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. And we do this not because we've got to earn something from God. We do it because we are loved. We are a child of God. We repent. We're called to believe. That word believe does not mean that I just mentally ascribe to something to be true. Like so much of the world today, oh yeah, I believe in God. It means much more than that. It, it means I'm going to trust him. Because I believe him, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to place my faith in him. I love the, the analogy of the, the rock climber because I, I've experienced this firsthand, being on the top of a, a ledge, and I've got my spotter down below, and he's holding the rope, and he says to me, on belay, like, I've got you. And, and he's a good guy down there, and, and it's good equipment. And, and I believe that he's got me, but I don't lean back. Like, I, I know you've got me, but I am not willing to lean back. When we believe in God, it requires that we lean back. We place our, the entire weight of our life into his hands. We say, I'm going to trust you. And my knees are shaking right now. I am nervous as all get out, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your word. This is what it means to, to believe. Repent, believe, follow. What is a disciple? A disciple, if you just want to narrow it down to the, the most simple thing, a disciple is a follower, a student, a, a follower. I love that Jesus came and he didn't have this long list of requirements to be a disciple. What he said is follow. And those disciples were the ones who were willing to follow. They had a choice. Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, they didn't have to follow but they chose to, to leave things behind and to follow. This is what discipleship is. Those four men that we just read about, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're going to become incredible leaders. Like God is going to use them in remarkable ways, but their life did not begin as leaders. Can you imagine if Jesus came to them and said, come, lead the way? Now, knowing what we know about Peter, he might have jumped at the chance. But, but Jesus didn't come say, come, lead the way. No, he said, come, follow me. We, we like to glorify leadership. Leadership is critical. It's so important, so important in the world, so important in the church. But our life as disciples doesn't begin with leadership. It begins with followership. And every single one of us is called to, to follow. Repent, believe, follow, and then fish. Fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus came with a, a mission, the mission of seeking followers. And immediately he demonstrated that he was not a one-man band. Like, I'm going to build a team. We're going to do this together. And, and so we just, we follow in that today. We are called together to be part of this team. And what are we called to do? We're called to, to flit fish. And the, the good news is that he uses people who are flawed, who are imperfect, who fumble, who stumble, who, who are willing to repent when they get off, uh, off target and, and follow him and join him in the mission of fishing. 
this is who we're called to be, what we're called to do. And we just keep doing it. We keep repenting. We keep exercising our faith. Like, I wish it was a one-time deal. Like, all I'd have to do is lean back once and I'm good to go. It's a daily thing where we've got to keep believing, keep following, and keep fishing just over and over and over again. The kairos time for us to do this is now. The door is open for us now to do this. Join me as we pray. Uh, Father, as I, I think about my own life, I think uh, how it's tempting to do this once and then to get out of the habit, to, to repent once and then to just start living into some patterns that are not uh, from you. And uh, it's tempting to, to believe once, to, to stretch, to exercise faith, to do some risky things once and then to, and then to coast. Lord, it's uh, tempting to, to follow you once and then to just kind of get on our own agenda and do our own thing. And the same thing with fishing, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, make us a, a people, a congregation of people who just learn to live uh, this continually before you, uh, trusting in you. Lord, we thank you that uh, you use imperfect people. We pray that uh, humbly you would you would use us for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.